Hello and welcome to Alternative Eye, the series that features students and staff from NUI Galway reflecting on why difference is not always what we think it is. I definitely remember how um, emotionally vulnerable I felt after that diagnosis. I just, I wanted to crawl up in a bowl and hide away in a corner because I just felt like my entire education experience has been pushing me to go somewhere, but without the full toolkit. This episode, Alphabet Soup. Hi, I'm uh, Dominic Whelan and uh, I've been working in the hospitality industry for the last 20 years. Uh, currently working in Kai Restaurant in town. The last while, I'd be, just last year, even I'd been doing a master's in business and hospitality as part of the Shannon College in NUIG. I'm from, well, you can hear the accent. I was born in London, but my family are from Galway uh, through and through. I always get asked that. If, uh, both my parents from uh, Ireland, they are, they're down the road. Um, they're all, all, both from North Connemara. What's curious probably about it is that you, you'll hear my London accent and sometimes you'll hear a kind of my accent. So depending what you hear, it's always a, an intrigue for, for people who are curious of linguistic skills. Having working memory disorder is uh, an interesting one because as soon as you try to explain it to people, they're kind of like, what? Um, it's very easily confused for short term memory. Um, what working memory disorder is, is <laughs> I nearly had that own experience now. Um, your brain can only take so much capacity, which every individual has their own capacity. For me, it's lower than most people. It's like try- it's like alphabet soup and you're trying to pull out all the words from this lovely alphabet soup that you have in front of you. And it takes you those extra few seconds to actually process and, and understand both from a comprehensive point of view from what someone's saying and also how you comprehend and, and verbalize back. Dyslexia is is quite common. Um, I think I know more about dyslexia now since my diagnosis than I did before. Typically, I, I thought I was actually quite strong in reading and writing. Well, maybe not reading, but definitely in writing. Um, for dyslexia, it's very much about um, it actually makes documents and large books like you uh, like I typically wouldn't read a book um, because it's quite mentally challenging or, you know, words or I'd lose my uh, focus or the best way of putting it is I'd actually lose where I'm reading as well. So the way books are printed or the topography could actually set me off and I could actually lose completely where I am and have to start all over again on the page. Um, that's that's one version. Um, and another part of it can be very much, uh, you know, going back to, to writing skills, the legibility. Um, like my writing is very uh, decorative is the best way of describing it. But it, it makes, you know, dyslexia is very much misconstrued for our bad spelling. Um, I mix up vowels all the time, like E's, A's, I's, U's. They, they, they all sound the same to me is the best way of describing it. And that can be quite challenging. And I can imagine it for educators because they're like, oh, why is he using an, an E instead of an I? <laughs> and it's like, well, that's how it sounds to me. And uh, phonetically, it's how it sounds to me. There's a lot of ways in which you can struggle with, uh, even with working memory alone, but uh, dyslexia and put the two together, you have a, a lot of fun when you're trying to write something. I did m- my entire primary education in the UK. Um, I then came to Ireland in 98 and did another two years of primary education in in, um, a, uh, in a Gwaltuk school. So you can imagine going from an all English environment to an all Irish environment. Um, on finishing primary, then I did the full five years uh, of leaving cert. I didn't do transition year because uh, I was getting a bit too old to be doing that. And then uh, obviously in the third level. And going back to primary level, I was actually going through a lot of audiological testing or audio testing um, because they believed there were 
there was there was something there. They didn't know what it was. They were trying to figure it out. So the best example is like little tests in, you know, reading and understanding, comprehension um, from audiological, uh, you know, there'll probably be experts who, who know what I'm talking about when you had to take a marble and you'd have to put it in a box every time you hear a noise. So that I was going through like a beeper test. I, I don't know the actual name of that test, but uh, th- that's something I actually went through nearly every year. Uh, and the background behind that is because they were worried that I had a hearing issue was what they had identified first because I wasn't hearing in class. Uh, and that's probable and, and probably very common for someone who has dyslexia or in particular working memory disorder because you're not you you can be misdiagnosed as someone who either doesn't focus or is just not interested in education, but it's actually just more to do with um, how your brain is processing or the uh, uh, impacts are going around the room. In hindsight, I have loads of examples because um, you, you know when you experience life, you always have it's more reflective. Um, and an example of that, say, would be I remember being about seven seven years old, eight years old, and I couldn't remember my best friend's name or how to spell his name. Um, and we had to pick out three friends we wanted to to be in class with next year because we were going into the senior part of primary school in the UK. And and it was really a struggle. And I didn't know who to ask, didn't know how to help. And I didn't want to admit that I couldn't spell my best friend's name. And I was literally the last student sitting, uh, waiting to write everyone's name. The teacher comes over, it's like, are you OK? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to write three students' name, but I like I didn't verbalize saying I couldn't say their name, but uh, I, th- she could tell I was struggling. Said, "Look, that don't worry about it. We'll do it later." Um, and I think that's probably the earliest memory I have. I think it's a curious one when it comes to getting a, a diagnosis because, um, of well, from the story I've told, there's there there is obviously a sign that they knew something was up, but they hadn't been identified. And a little bit of it's in timing because um, I was going. I was going from primary to secondary into the UK, but then my family decided to move back to Ireland. So there, there was that added tra- like trajectory. Uh, the great thing about it, probably because we don't actually, as kids, we don't actually see the differences. We kind of, we're just kids. We're enjoying life. We're playing. We're interactive. Um, I I found that I was actually more sportier as a kid in primary school because we were I'm, I'm not kidding. We were very lucky. We had a sports pitch. We had a forest. We had a field. We had all this outdoor activity as part of the school. So I found education in that kind of outdoor learning, like which would be very positive today. I still can remember then in my fifth class that I got an award for one of my poems. But you know, I'm a dyslexic, so you know, there's the, the little things that are that that kind of play with you in, in regards to how your education works. Um, and maybe there is something to someone who's dyslexic. There's a little bit more of that little edge of creativity, which is very much part of my diagnosis as well. Getting diagnosis is probably later in life. I think it's even more more challenging. I'm, I'm 35 this year, but I got my diagnosis at 30. And how that came about was um, I was doing a part-time degree module with um, the, the College of Social Sciences and Public Policy here in NUIG. And I was hitting a barrier with my lit review, which ironically enough, I, I managed to somehow get through my undergrad prior to that um, with a lot of work and one-on-one tuition, which kind of made it a little bit easier. And what happened was a as we all know as students, some of our work goes up to an external examiner for, for investigative and making sure the quality of the course is going well and, and the quality of the work. And it was the external examiner, ironically enough, from the UK who pinpointed that does this student have a, um, a, a disability or, or, or a diagnosis? And, and the program managers came back and said, no, they didn't. So they brought that feedback to me because it was third attempt at doing the same lit review. And as you can imagine, you'd be hitting your head off the wall at that stage because you're in, you're in the repeat stage. Of, well, probably it's the second time doing it. And then uh, they were advising, well, look, 
maybe you should go for a diagnosis and see how how that might come out and see what what is that underlying barrier that's keeping you from being so successful in whether it be an education or career or, or how you live your life. Prior to that, I was dead nervous. I'm not going to lie. I was very nervous the day I went to meet the educational psychologist, which was referred through NYG. And that brought me on that whole journey that I am now today. It's a very much an emotional and a very personal deep journey that you'll take because you're kind of like, oh, well, this explains what happened when I was 10 and when I was five. And you you have to process that as well and, and getting to know like what your academic ability is and what makes that challenging in an education point of view because you now you're spinning the bottle back then in education saying, well, hi, well, I wasn't dyslexic before, but now I am. Um, and then trying to work that relationship because it changes the relationship with you and your educator or your, your lecturer or whoever you're studying with um, because it puts more of a demand on you and on them on, on, on trying to get through third level or education. In, in that journey of the diagnosis, it very much was a tough time because it felt like that I was sort of let down in that, you know, I went through an entire well, a four-year, five-year undergrad module without any supports and explained why I had such a tough time reading and why people were kind of a little upset with me because they'd be waiting for me to write a report. And I'd be like, well, I need time to do it. I need to process it. And and, and it would take someone... I, I know because one of my classmates from secondary school here in Ireland did the same course as me. We did the same class. We all went to nearly the same placements together. He had no dyslexic and he'd be like, oh, it works done. And i instantly feel that pressure, like, what am I doing wrong? Why is it taking me so long to do it? And I figured, it's just me, maybe I'm just uh, being distracted or procrastinating is what I put it down to. Um, it always feels like you're doing double the amount of work as someone else, uh, just just to write it, just to write a few thousand words. In regards to technology, like I was lucky in 2018 to get my diagnosis and, and get all the supports from the Disability Support Service. What I got that year, I had access to the Academic Skills Center um, and I, I leaned a little bit into the coordinator, uh, Irina, in, in college. And she was brilliant because, and you know what, she put it, and I, I use it every time, actually, I didn't use it now yet in, in, in this conversation. She said, someone who is dyslexic trying to use English, it's like using English as a foreign student or as a foreign language. I'm not quite paraphrasing her, but that that was a very apt way of her describing how I am learning English. I'm a native English speaker, but I, I speak and learn it like a foreign student is the best way of putting it. So it's a foreign language to me. Um, and that was a very eye-opening education moment just for me personally. Roll forward to 2020, well, in this case, 2021, doing a, a master's degree. Um, there was a lot more technology services made available because of online learning and everyone having to go online because of COVID. So in a positive way, COVID has opened so many more doors to me in regards uh, to access to technology. For the first half of my master's, I was all online, 100% online, no interaction um, on campus. But for me, those recordings were critical to my education because it was able to go back and reread and listen uh, to, to the key points that were being made. Um, when it comes to like that emotional journey that you take as a student, um, I think it, it can be quite a barrier because there's a lot of trust in you as an individual and that person to give you an education. Um, even even last year, like we, I think I like for I had to go through every lecture and say hi. I'm a dyslexic. Like it's quite funny. It's like trying to be in an AA meeting, uh, which is 
probably an unfair example, but it, you know, we all know that idea of like, oh, hi, I'm in the group. I am a dyslexic. And you're like, oh, hi, we know you're a dyslexic because we're all dyslexics here. But also, you know, to do that to every lecture and imagine you have 20 lectures over an entire year or even like some classes have two lectures. You have to do that for every lecture. And, you know, me as a student, I'm depending on them to read the diagnosis letter that they have. And I know that doesn't always work out sometimes. And I know I've hit walls and bridges there over even in my master's last year. And there was no fault both of me or the lecture. It's just a, a, a system in which we kind of both were hitting a barrier. I'm telling you I'm dyslexic. You're like, oh, okay, well, I know that. What do you want me to do? Now, I was very lucky. I had one of the most experimental uh, educations last year with one of my lectures um, in that we did all of my assignments in a alternative format, which I'd never had the opportunity to do. And I think it worked, the results, speak for themselves. Uh, it, it did work. I did well. I got my two twos and two ones. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit I'm not a one one student, uh, and, and, but I, maybe I could be if I find that process that works. If we can't make it accessible for a student like of my skill to be able to meet the needs of that university education, you're kind of excluding me unintentionally, just not by any fault of individual's own. It's just that lack of awareness or la lack of uh, understanding. Um, I think I'm still on that kind of journey in the work life because it changes with every new person that comes into the workplace as well. What's nice and, and very lucky and, and supportive in Kai is I know I'm not the only dyslexic, so that's that's a starting point. I, I think we, everyone's been in a cafe and everyone loves seeing the way to write everything down, and which is what I will always do. If I'm not writing it down, I'm terrified I'm going to forget something. And I usually do. But what's actually funny for me is you might order like a latte and um, let's say because it's Kai, it's fish fingers. I might actually forget what the coffee order is, but I know you definitely want the fish fingers. I've latched onto that idea, but my memory cannot, for the life of me, can remember exactly what that coffee order is. And I have to go back. And if you can't remember what you wrote and you can't read what you wrote, you're hitting a wall instantly. And that does happen sometimes. So if I apologize if anyone's ever come into work to Kai and I've had to ask you a coffee, that's all that's happening. It's not that I wasn't interested in you or couldn't or faulty, faulty waiter. It was actually, I, I'm, I'm actually struggling to actually have a physical memory of your order. And imagine doing that about like, there's, like last week, we were doing about 90 or 100 customers a day. Uh, and you're like, every customer has their own need and want. And so I've, I've found a way to manage that in short form and, and especially having short form writing and orders and that. Um, so I've been lucky in working that they, the, the team in, 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 in and I put credit to Jess and David who own Kai, they've made it really um, accessible for me to actually work in the industry again but also being able to work on, um, you know, trying to find new skills. There's no perfect balance because you're trying, in our hectic world where it's so noisy in some places, like I'm quite lucky where I live where it's quite calming and relaxing. So I do take a lot of time out just to, I guess we call it reflection and just switch off. Yeah, so I have a, a curious role that uh, most people kind of get stunned when I uh, mention it because it sounds like another giant alphabet soup. Um, so I'm a... Volunteer is the best way of describing it. So I represent the community and voluntary sector in Goy City um, through the through the Goy City PPN, the Goy City Community Network. Um, my role then is to represent all the policies and procedures wanted by these groups. And, it, and ironically enough, I represent accessibility and disability groups as well. So I've a badge of honor in making sure those groups are uh, understood and, and um, there's a comprehension going on. 
Galway is so well, it's so connected in its own way. Like I grew up in London, and it's funny if I go back to London, I will. I still have those friends from primary school and that, but I also still have my friends in Galway, and they're two very different cultures. Like London is the big city culture. Galway is that small village culture. Like you, it's very rare that you can find the village atmosphere in a in in a city. So Galway is quite lucky in that it's that innate culture. We all know each other. We all we're, we're nearly in each other's pockets in some ways. My biggest goal is I don't want us to go back to the previous normal because that. That was great. We enjoyed that normal, but let's do something better and different and build on that. And that's that's where I see next, and that's where my ambition and goals are. Um, it's it's a short life you live, so you may as well take advantage where you can. Uh, my favorite piece of music is always a curious one because uh, I can be quite eclectic sometimes. Like I, I, I'm a big fan of a lot of electro pop. So I was even trying to think of music that I like regularly because sometimes I go off a, a, a group or a bad sometimes because I've just overplayed them. I say my favorite song that I'm currently listening to at the moment is uh, is actually Roshan Murphy. It's Miami. It's it's the one that is probably not the exact name because I'm terrible at remembering names. So forgive me, working memory disorder. I don't remember people's artistic endeavors as well as I should. But that's one I kind of there's there's three parts in that it reminds me of City by the Sea, like Galway, but also there's a bit of a punch at like an individuality, like how we're going to live our lives, what the future is going to be. There's it's a great song that kind of resonates with me. Alternative Eye was devised and produced by Orla Higgins. The series has been supported financially by the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Budget of the College of Arts, Social Sciences and Celtic Studies, NUI Galway. Recorded at Flirt FM Studios, NUI Galway, with thanks to Paula Healy, Heather Hinchin Quinn and Cormac Corcoran. Special thanks to NUI Galway Student Success Manager, Jane Ennis, and to all the contributors. The music featured in this episode is Dear Miami by Roisin Murphy. Thanks for listening.